Everybody. It's always good to hear a nice buzz and chat going on, and I know that people are, are gathering in, but uh, uh, we have, it's great to have, by the way, Karen and Ramon, where are they? They're here somewhere. Uh, they're at the back there, back with us. So Karen and Ramon are going to come and speak to us later on as well, so I want to keep things moving on, and uh, that's why we have, uh, it's come 11 o'clock and we're, we're about to start. But you are very welcome. If you're visiting with us, you are welcome as well. Uh, of course, and it's good to have you sign our visitor's book, stay for tea and coffee, and uh, we really do want to welcome you. I've been reading, as you know, the Proverbs on Sundays, and uh, one of the things that struck me this morning, and I'm not going to read it, was just that our choices um, are under the control of God, but that they're vitally important because they have consequences. Um, and the choice for you to come to church this morning and to worship God is a very significant one. And I want to commend you for that. I want to say that was a great choice that you made this morning to come to church and to take time to worship God. Uh, because there are two ways to live, one that leads to death and destruction and one that leads to life. And we have chosen the way to life, the Bible tells us. We're going to sing in a moment, Still the Greatest Treasure Remains. For those who choose you now. And I pray that as we come, that we will understand that the choice that we've made is not just to come to this building, but to come and meet with the, the Lord God himself. The psalmist makes, puts it this way. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and a swallow, a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. So let's come and worship God, and then we come to sing in Christ alone, because he is our home and the focus of our Well, let's pray together. Um, and I thought what we might do this morning is just say the Lord's Prayer. Um, but I'd like us to say it uh, slowly and to kind of think of the words together. Um, so I might just read it, uh, the first line, and then you can pray it uh, in your own language, um, in your heartfelt tongue, and uh, really think about what you're doing as, uh, and who you're praying to as you do that. So I'd say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Then you say it in your own language, and we'll pause and think about it, and then I'd say the next line until we finish. So let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours. Now and forever. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've got your Bibles there, let's turn to uh, Joshua chapter 5. So George is going to come and read that to us. Um, It's page 218, but George is going to read it in the Good News version. So you can have it in front of you for later, but let's just listen carefully as George reads that to us. Thank you, George. All the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the Mediterranean Sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the Jordan until the people of Israel had crossed it. They became afraid and lost their courage because of the Israelites. Then the Lord told Joshua, make some knives out of flint and circumcise the Israelites. So Joshua did as the Lord had commanded, and he circumcised the Israelites at a place called Circumcision Hill. When the people of Israel left Egypt, all the males were already circumcised. However, during the 40 years The people spent crossing the desert. None of the baby boys had been circumcised. Also, by the end of that time, all the men who were of fighting age when they left Egypt had died because they had disobeyed the Lord. Just as he had sworn They were not allowed to see the rich and fertile land that he had promised their ancestors. The sons of these men had never been circumcised, and it was this new generation that Joshua had circumcised. After the circumcision was completed, the whole nation stayed in the camp until the wounds had healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have removed from you the disgrace of being slaves in Egypt. That is why the place was called Gilgal, the name it still has. While the Israelites were camping at Gilgal, on the plain near Jericho, they observed Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month. The next day was the first time they ate food grown in Canaan, roasted grain and bread made without yeast. The manna stopped falling then, and the Israelites no longer had any. From that time on, 
they ate food grown in Canaan. And this is headed Joshua and the man with the sword. While Joshua was near Jericho, he suddenly saw a man standing in front of him, holding a sword. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you one of our soldiers or an enemy? Neither, the man answered. I am here as the commander of the Lord's army. Joshua threw himself on the ground in worship and said, I am your servant, sir. What do you want me to do? And the commander of the Lord's army told him, Take your sandals off. You are standing on holy ground. And Joshua did as he was told. Well, thanks very much, George. And that is one of the reasons why we do expository preaching, because you wouldn't want to preach on this passage or choose it for a normal Sunday. Um, but there's lots to learn in that passage, as we're about to find out. So Katie's going to come now and talk to the boys and girls. So I'm, oh, there you are, Katie. I keep looking in the wrong places. So boys and girls, come to the front if you would. Good morning. So last week, the Lord did an amazing thing. Does anyone remember what he did? I'm testing your memory. What did he do last week? Ray showed us some videos about it. There's a lot of water. Yes. Yes, he stopped the River Jordan so that the Israelites could cross over on dry ground. And the first people to walk into the Promised Land were soldiers armed for battle, about 40,000 of them, followed by almost 2 million people, Ray told us last week. And then the Lord released the river, and it returned to rushing at flood levels. So now, with nothing standing between them and the enemy, the river behind them blocking any retreat, and all of these soldiers armed for battle, Surely the Israelites attacked Jericho this week, right? Isn't that what just, that's what George just read, right? You don't look confident. No, that's not what they did. Hmm, maybe Joshua is not as good of a military leader as I thought. Hmm, but what did the Israelites do? Yes. Oh, they did that at the end of, of chapter four, that's true. So they took time to remember what else? Yes. They ate food from Canaan because they were celebrating the Passover. And one other thing. Yes. Mm -mm. Look at your Bibles. You can use them. <laughs> what does it say they did? God gave them a special command to do something. 
the very beginning of chapter 5. Chapter 5. Let's see. Good. Yes. May Flintonite and circumcise the Israelites again? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they decide to circumcise the whole nation. So they remember, and they circumcise the nation, and then they celebrate the Passover. Now, circumcision appears in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis, where God makes a covenant with or gives a promise to a man called Abraham. And he promises to be Abraham's God and the God of all his descendants. But I don't know about you, I've never actually seen a promise before. I've heard them, but I've never seen them. And so God gives Abraham the sign of circumcision as a visible reminder of that promise. But then in Deuteronomy, Moses tells the people it's not just about a physical visible reminder, it's a picture of something that God wants to do in your hearts. You see, he reminds them that the Lord chose them and loved them. And so in response, they should circumcise their hearts. And then later in Deuteronomy, right before Moses dies, he tells them that the Lord himself will circumcise their hearts. But what does that mean, that phrase, circumcise your hearts? Well, circumcision is made of two parts. So let's start with circum. What does circum sound like a word? Circum, circum, circle. Circle, oh, circle. And so circle, circum means all around or on all the sides, like a circle. What about scission? Scissors. Scissors. And what do scissors do? They cut things. So circumcision is to cut all around or on all sides. But, so we have circumcision. And, ah, of the heart. What shape is this? Oh, it's a heart, yeah. And in the world, we would say that this is what a good heart looks like. But when God looks at a heart from all the sides, he says that there are actually, this isn't, this isn't a good heart. He says there are some pieces that need to be removed or cut off. So what does he see? Well, in verse 9 of chapter 5, the Lord tells Joshua that the Israelites have been carrying around this disgrace. That even though they'd been freed from slavery in Egypt, they had kept something. They didn't leave this disgrace, this shameful, ugly thing behind. And it was the, the reason that they've only just now entered the promised land, even though they had a chance to 40 years earlier. And it's the reason why they've just all had to be circumcised, even though it was the law the entire time they were living in the desert. You see, they didn't do what God told them to do. Their hearts were filled with disobedience. I'm going to write that. Their hearts were filled with disobedience. But we just read that now they've done both. They've, they've obeyed God and entered the promised land, and they've circumcised everybody. And so God says, 
I just cut off a piece of disobedience from your hearts. But disobedience, disobeying God, which is, is sin, uh, it likes to wear many masks. You know, this week, I didn't get my way. And I got really upset. And I got so angry that I could actually feel it. And then I said some really mean words to that person. And then I went to another person and I grumbled and complained about it. So there, that was, there was a lot of sin in my heart. Um, and the Holy Spirit tapped on my shoulder. And he pointed out my sin. And I was really sad. And I was able to ask for forgiveness. But I'm really thankful that God is working in my heart to cut out those pieces of sin. But you know, there's grumbling and complaining and anger and mean words. But there's also selfishness. We like to think about ourselves before everyone else. Or... We just like to say things that aren't true. What would we call that? Lying. Or this is a tough one. What about seeing what someone else has and wanting it? Jealousy or coveting? Look at you guys. Yeah, coveting. So there's a lot, a lot of sin in that heart. Well, the Bible tells us that like the Israelites, we are slaves. But we... We weren't slaves to Pharaoh, we were slaves to sin. And when Jesus rescues us and we follow him, we get to leave that life of slavery behind. Um, and we can, we can look at our hearts though, and we're, we're just like the Israelites. We still have this disease of sin in our hearts, even though we've left slavery behind. And we have a choice to make. We can be like the Israelites who came up out of Egypt, and we can hold on to those, those pieces, those diseased pieces. But then we get cut off from some of God's blessings, just like they did when they had to live in the desert and they didn't get to enjoy the promised land. Or knowing that we are loved, that God has chosen us, we can choose to participate with him in cutting out some of these pieces, these diseased parts, piece by piece, until what we should do and what we want to do are the same thing. And at the end, so we slowly cut off these pieces. You know, our hearts, they're not going to look the way that other people think hearts should look like. No, sir. They'll look kind of funny. But at the end, when every piece has been cut away, our hearts will mirror God's own heart. And we see God's heart best in Jesus. 
in the way that he loved and the way that he lived perfectly, in perfect obedience to everything God said, and in the way that he died on the cross to save us. And that's a bit of what it's like to have a circumcised heart. Now, the, the band is going to lead us in a song to sing a bit about Jesus and how his death on the cross saves us. And the words repeat. So if you don't know the actions or you don't remember them, you can just join in on the second time around. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Kitty. There we go. That is what circumcision is all about. And uh, that's a fantastic illustration of what it truly means. So thank you for that, Kitty. So, and, and it's interesting, isn't it, how God works in somebody's heart to kind of help them get their talk right and to, to work in their hearts for, for His good and for His glory. That's a fantastic thing as well. So, boys and girls, you're free to go, of course, to Sunday Special in K2. And uh, if there are younger children, uh, there is a crash downstairs, and you can take your child there and uh, have a supervised crash and listen to the sermon as well, down there as well. So folks, if you have your order service, we'll quickly go through this. It is good to see you all in church this morning, and you're very welcome, uh, especially if you're visiting. Next week, we will continue looking at the fall of Jericho in chapter 6, and if you have time, it would be good to read it, um, and then have your questions and see what you think God is doing in that. If you've come with uh, issues to be prayed for, then do come to the front, um, and, and don't be afraid to do that. It's a confidential prayer ministry where people just simply bring your requests to God. Um, the Sunday special folks uh, are meeting, the leaders are meeting for prayer and uh, for planning uh, tomorrow at 7.45 on the community floor here, just to remind them of that. And the International Cafe continues then next Friday um, at, at, at 7.30 uh, p.m. here in the building. We had a good start, very positive start. We had an excellent meal. We had, amazingly, we were building towers out of spaghetti and marshmallows. I kid you not. And uh, yeah, it was good to be there and to talk with many people. There were people from South Korea, Brazil, and someone from North Dublin at my table. So that was good. A truly international group. You know? So there we go. We had interpretation for the North Dublin person. Um, Salt Project meets this Saturday as well, um, so that's for our secondary school students. Uh, if you want to speak to Katie about that, you'll be very welcome as well. And I think those are all the announcements. The rest you can read for yourself. Uh, we're going to just, uh, uh, I suppose we're going to talk now about the sacrifice of a broken heart, and we're going to say, I will offer up my life. So let's stand and praise God as we come to hear his word shortly. Well, folks, I've called this preparation for the Christian life. If you have your Bibles, uh, do open them at Joshua chapter 5 as we look at this today. Um, I was struck by this word, um, carpe diem, um, which means seize the day, as you see there on the screen. And it's a phrase that came to my attention. I didn't know it. I was never taught it at school. But it's a phrase that came to my attention in the fantastic film, Dead Poets Society. And it means, this is your moment. Move ahead. Do it. 
And in one scenario in the film, it means ask her out, carpe diem, seize the day. And in Joshua's case, Israel's opponents are on the ropes. That's a boxing term. And they're basically throwing in the towel, staggering about, and one final blow will finish them. You see that in verse 1. Their hearts have melted. Their courage has failed. They've become ineffective as an opposing force. And you would say to Joshua, carpe diem, seize the day, march on, and take Jericho. However, as you see, that is not the instruction given by God. In fact, in what God commands is militarily nonsense. Take flint knives and circumcise all your meals. That's a very ornate Norwegian flint knife, by the way. Disable them. Put them out of action, every one of your fighting men. Verse 2. And Joshua obeys. Verse 3. And if you want to laugh, the kind of laugh, by the way, that makes you uncomfortable, particularly if you're male, you need to note the name of the place, which basically means hill of foreskins. Isn't that crazy? And George read from the good news, and that was Circumcision Hill. I'm not sure that's any better, but there you go. Millions. Amazing. And it appears that such an action, being so unusual, if you look in verse 4, requires an explanation. Now, this is why he did so. Why did he do it? And the reason is, of course, we're given the circumcision history of Israel which, to say the least, is sobering. Verse 4, all the men of military age died in the desert on the way after leaving Egypt. Verse 6, the Israelites moved about in the desert 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. They died because of their disobedience. They died because they did not bother with the sign of of circumcision, which reflected their hearts and their attitude towards God. And so, folks, it's important that we stop with Joshua and we pause to consider the reality of this moment, because it does mean that military victory is not really what God is after or really speaking about in this passage, but that he is concerned about our hearts and his people and their relationship with him. God is concerned with obedience and a sincere heart. It tells us that victory is in the hands of God, and we need to understand that lesson. Because if we don't, our Christian lives will simply be a series of works and activity which will exhaust us because we have done them in our own strength. And that's why I framed this sermon in a question. How does God prepare us for Christian life? So let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, it's amazing how we are so similar to the Israelites and how we want to rush ahead in our day of instant gratification and instant everything. And I pray that you will help us this morning to be able to pause and to take our time and to think afresh about how you want us to live in this world. And I pray that you would help us to learn from this passage, even though it may seem very strange to us. And we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
So what we want to do, first of all, is look at this first situation, which is obedience in verses 2 to 9. I'm going to take you back a little bit because I think it shows how serious God takes this. If you go back to Exodus chapter 4, you'll learn that Moses had a similar experience. God had spoken to Moses, of course, in the burning bush and commissioned him to speak to Pharaoh and lead his people out of Egypt. He's actually obedient to that, going back from Midian with his wife and son to do just that. And they encounter God. And the, the absolutely bizarre thing about that is that God is actually going to kill him. So the Bible tells us. And his wife, Zipporah, recognizes the danger. And she quickly circumcises her son and touches Moses' feet with the foreskin. Again, it was a life and a death moment, which Moses learned and taught. So at the end of his life, Kitty was right, as we, of course, in Numbers 30, we're told that there are two ways to live, one that leads to life and another that leads to death. Life is obedience to God and his words, and death is disobedience. And as a good pastor, he encourages his people, now choose life, he says, so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. Now, I'm going to skip forward a lot now, and we have to, you'd have to do some more work in this, but basically circumcision for us has been replaced by the sign of baptism. We see that in Colossians 2 and Philippians 3. However, the focus of both is God's covenant love for us and our reciprocal obedience to him. Therefore, when we have been baptized, we have received the sign of God's focus and blessing to us. We have become recipients of his love, his promises, his help. And the sign of baptism tells us of washing from sin, our union with Christ in his death, and the power of the resurrection and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that is how we put off the sinful nature. Not by our own efforts, but through the cross and through the gift of salvation that God has given us. And so the essential preparation for every Christian is the reminder of salvation and our utter dependence on God for the forgiveness of our sins and the power to live this life. It is simply in Christ alone as we sang, my hope is found, he is my light, my strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground, here in the love of God I stand. And we must appropriate that by faith, by obedience to our Lord and his word. In baptism, you see, we promise to love God. We promise to come to church. We promise to serve his people. We promise to give financially and to be served by others. That's what we do because we commit ourselves to him and to his people. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, how is that how you prepare for worship in obedience to the vows that you have made in baptism? I, I was struck yesterday. By the way, yesterday, just to take a slight break from that, the hockey season started again. The All-Ireland Hockey League started. 
And so therefore, I was at the start side of the pitch with YM, and we got absolutely thrashed. We were beaten comprehensively by Banbridge, and we're now second from bottom. But that's by the by. But I want to say to you folks that everyone who plays for YM on the first 11 team, and there's about 18 of them who are on the squad, turn up three times a week for practice. They, turn, they do physical training, they do video analysis of themselves and their opponents, and they have analysis of their personal stats because they have these little trackers that go in the back of their vests. They come to the venue one and a half hours before the game, and they're on the pitch 45 minutes before the game, and that's for a game of hockey. And I use that as an illustration because that's, that's a heart commitment. That's a commitment that I'm not knocking and I'm not saying is false or wrong, but it's a level that they, they have. But I want you to think about how do you prepare to come to church? How do you prepare for this corporate meeting of coming to church? Do you read the scriptures? Do you pray? Do you open your hearts to what God has been doing in your life throughout the week? Are you obedient to him? Because really that's all he's looking for. He's looking for you. He's looking for your heart. He's looking for wholehearted obedience. And that is how we come to live the Christian life, in obedience to his word. And there's no other way. can't be done in any other way. And secondly, there are blessings. If you go back to the story here, we see this in verses 10 to 12. If only their enemies knew how vulnerable the military men of Israel were, that they couldn't walk, that they were sore, you would have, they would have attacked, wouldn't they? But they didn't because they were afraid and they lacked courage. And that was encouraging for me when I read this because it says that God's timing is perfect. And if you look in verse 10, we're actually giving a date. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho. If you go back to 419, you'll see that on the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of the Jordan. So God has done this. It's not that they've waited for ages. It's just the natural flow and progression. And you may be not surprised to find out, of course, that that is the beginning of the Passover feast. The chapter 4 passage is when they choose the lamb. And in this passage, it's when they actually begin to celebrate the Passover feast. The reference to unleavened cakes could be telling us that they also celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which followed the Passover and lasted for seven days, and possibly also the celebration of the first fruits. So they're worshiping, they're feasting, they're recovering, they're taking time to be healed, and they begin to eat the produce of the land. A fact mentioned in three, three times in these verses. A land rich with milk and honey and fruit and cereal. Now again, we fast forward in this because ultimately we're not talking about a land, as we said in our first talk. We're talking about our hearts. And what is the blessing that God has given us? It's the blessing of his presence through the Holy Spirit. And we benefit from the presence of God in our hearts, removing sin, as Katie told us, but also giving us the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And as we do what he says, we become more like him. We become more Christ-like. We develop his character. And this gives us hope. And that's why last week, I don't think that crossing the Jordan is about always removing our obstacles. It's about God being with us in them because he wants us to trust him and to follow him and obey his instructions and his word. He wants us to focus not on the problem, but to keep our eyes on him and in, his faith, and in faith we know him better. Folks, this is the most precious blessing, and it is not appreciated enough by us. The blessings of the new covenant is the coming of the Holy Spirit. This is the reality for every true believer, everyone born of the Holy Spirit and having the presence and the power of God in our lives as we enter and engage with the world in which he has placed us. In the course that I'm doing at the moment, we have to read a book by a pastor called Jack Miller. He has written letters in the day of writing letters to many people of whom he ministered to. This is what he writes. I had been busy. I had been so busy in ministry that I'd lost sight of God's word and spirit and desperately needed a conviction of sin that would lead me to see anew the power and glory of Christ's atonement. You see, the blessing is less of sinful us and much more of the glory of Christ in the power of the Spirit. That is the blessing, that we become like Christ, that we have love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness in our hearts. And God wants to give us that. And we are so, if you are like me, you don't believe that. You don't want God to work in your heart and to cut bits out. You don't want him to take you through difficulties. You don't want to have to repent of your sin. You just want to be left alone and do what you want. And God doesn't allow us to do that because he knows what is good for us. And he wants more and more and more to give himself to us. That is the blessing that comes when we do that. It's a celebration. It's a celebration. It's a feasting. It's being with Christ. And that's why Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and that they might have it to the full. That's what God wants to give us. That's what he does give us in obedience. And lastly, I want us to see prayer. You'll see in your Bibles that this probably does go with the first part of the uh, coming of, uh, you know, of the taking of uh, Jericho. But I, I was fascinated by this. In, in many ways, this is the bit that has fascinated me the most. I'm, I'm kind of speculating here. If you want to read verse 13, it says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho. Now I'm saying to myself, why is he near Jericho? What's he doing? Is he on his own? And I'm going to postulate that he's on his own. It doesn't really matter if he's on his own or if he's got a couple of people or not. But I think he's feeling the responsibility. I think he's feeling nervous and unsure about what to do. He sees Jericho, a huge, in those days, fortified city. And I think he's gone out to survey the city and possibly to pray and to ask for God's help. 
We're not given the details. We're simply told he's near Jericho. And as he approaches the city, he is surprised, isn't he, to see a man with a sword drawn standing in front of him. And he wants to find out, of course, naturally, what side this man is on. Are you for us or for our enemies? And though the NIV and the good news I've now heard says neither, I've been told this week in my reading that perhaps no would be a more emphatic answer, but you can work with both, neither or no. Because what he's saying is that's not the question you should be asking. You need to know that I am in command. I'm not either on either side, I think, is the way I would have preached that before. But I am in command. This man has total authority over both sides. And Joshua recognizes this and falls prostrate, face down, asking him for a message or a command of instruction. And the answer is, take off your sandals for this place is holy ground. Now, there's been much written, by the way, about who this is that met Joshua. I preached this before, and I said this was a pre-incarnate Jesus. It may or may not be. Um, The commentators that I read this week said it was probably God in some form has come uh, to meet him at this time. For us, this is worship. For us, this is prayer. If we open our eyes, we can see how significant this is as we prepare for any interaction with the world around us. This prayerful worship is the starting point for any action of the Christian, of a Christian. See where Joshua is. He's about to take the city of Jericho, but he's on his face. He's on the ground. He's praying. He knows he can't do it. We are weak. We are unable to overcome our sin, our sinful nature, or the world. But God has done it in the cross. We do not fight in our own strength. We rely on him. In Christ alone, my hope is found. In everything we do, we submit to God in prayer. So, folks, I want to say to you that this is essential preparation for the task of living as a Christian, obedience to his word, receiving the blessing of the Holy Spirit and becoming more and more like Christ and living in worship and prayerful dependence on, the, on God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is a call to pause, to worship, and to persevere in faith. And I leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul, who spoke to another group of people who were questioning the reality of living in a difficult and hostile world. And these are the words from Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, 
not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. That's what God wants us to do. I pray that he'll give us the grace to do it. Amen. Let us worship God as we give our offering to him now. Well, I just want to welcome uh, Karen to come and speak. Maybe we should introduce Ramon as well. Are you going to do that? Well, we decided that translation might complicate things with Ramon, so, um, but if he wants to, si te quieres parar para saludar, this is Ramon at the back, who's my husband, <laughs> so in case you're wondering. <laughs> And for those of you who don't know us, I'm Karen. <laughs> um, and he's from Chile, I'm from Northern Ireland. Um, as you see up here, we're working with Youth with a Mission. And I'm decked out today in my Mexican blouse. <laughs> um, so we, we can have a little bit of an identity crisis at times. But uh, the important thing is, I know it was really something that I've been praying about the last few days and weeks as I've been at home because home is a very complex concept sometimes. <laughs> a lot of you will understand what I mean, and I know a lot of people here are from other countries, and here has become home, but home is also somewhere else. Um, so home for me is Northern Ireland with my mum. Home for me is here, because I spent 10 very happy years here with Adelaide Road. And home for me is Mexico, because that's where we're serving. Home for me is also Chile, because that's where Ramon is from. That's where the other half of my family lives. It's where I spent six happy years serving with Youth of the Mission there. And home for me is anywhere and everywhere, whether it's in Europe or not in Europe, <laughs> whether it's in South America, North America, Central America, because one of the things that struck me this morning was just God reminding me again that home is him. It, it's not about a physical geographical place. Um, it was very clear just as I was singing it, that, that, that reminder of, you know, it's in him that I stand. It's in him that we stand. And it doesn't matter what nation we're in. It doesn't matter what country we're in. Home is not a place. Home can become a place and we can feel at home because we're in him and we go everywhere with him. But that's not what I, I didn't come to preach because Sam has already done that very well. <laughs> um, but interestingly, he also highlighted that verse of the, of the song. So I think it is something that God is, is doing and reminding certainly me this morning. But today the idea is to once again visit and thank you for all your input in, in what we do and also to give you a little report as to what it is we are doing in Mexico. So there's a couple of slides. I'm going to go through them and not necessarily explain each one. Hopefully, they'll be fairly self-explanatory. As I said, we're working in Mexico, in Monterrey specifically, which is the second arrow up kind of the northeast of Mexico, near the border with Texas in the States. Um, Mexico City and different other parts of Mexico, there's, it's a very varied place. So there's all sorts of landscapes. Very different from here, that will I, I will grant. <laughs> it's very beautiful. Um, a, a different Mexican boys. Mexicans are into color. Love it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a celebration culture. And as we heard from, from both the children's talk and the sermon today, celebration is part of God's culture. But we always want to celebrate him. So here you see me with two Mexican women um, celebrating in color. <laughs> um, and the base that we work in is on the left-hand side. This is the before picture 
And this is the after picture where we've, we've been able to renew things a little bit so that it's a bit more visible that that's who we are and that's what we're doing. Um, the mountain behind us is very emblematic of Monterey City. It's called the Saddle Mountain because it's shaped as a, like a saddle that you would throw on a horse. Not that I would throw anything on a horse. I did that once in my life. Fell off almost and never really wanted to repeat the experience. But Saddle Mountain reminds me every day that every day is a day to depend on God. Um, during the last time, the last few years since we've been here, we've had lots of different experiences, which there's no way to tell you everything. Um, but one of the things that we had happen last year was the opportunity to go to a conference in Mazatlan, a different city in Mexico, and hear the founders of Youth with a Mission. Um, the, the conference was called DNA. And the idea is that they're now in their 80s, and they would put me to shame. <laughs> the energy and the passion and the, the zest for life that they have and the, just that passion for missions, for going out into all the world to tell people about Jesus. And I would be exhausted with half of their schedule. Um, but it was just a, a real privilege and a blessing to hear directly from them how things started, what God had shared with them that has spurred on what is now a global mission movement. Um, so it was just wonderful to meet them and to, to hear from them directly. Back in this time last year, February of last year, we were also blessed and encouraged and very privileged that my mother got on a couple of planes <laughs> and traveled all the way from Northern Ireland to Mexico. Um, having said previously that having come to Chile for our wedding, said, that's it, you know, I'm never going anywhere again. But she decided that she wanted to come and see where we were. So that for us was a real blessing and a real privilege. Some of you know her, she sends her greetings as well. Um, I also had the privilege of being in Switzerland in September. Um, the fact that I'm married to someone who doesn't speak my language brings all sorts of unknown benefits <laughs> because I've had to perf perfect. My Spanish is not perfect, but I get by. But sometimes there are, there are important meetings where they need translation. And because it's within the, the counseling faculty that we work with within Youth with a Mission, I've been very privileged to be part of meetings that I wouldn't ordinarily be there, um, but because someone needs translation. So I had the privilege of being in very important faculty meetings with the founder of the counseling and healthcare faculty, Dr. Bruce Thompson, um, who's equally in his 80s and equally would put me to shame. Um, and then with the dean and the leadership team of the faculty. So, you know, God opens doors where sometimes we have no way of expecting to see them. Um, what we do, we're still doing a lot of church ministry, going and preaching in local churches, um, ministering, doing seminars. A lot of our teaching still happens in the YWAM base where we are... Um, specifically involved, as most of you know, in the area of training in biblical counselling. Um, so we look at people healing from those wounds, those things that, that hold us back, those, those nasty areas of our heart where we've been hurt, and that leads to sin a lot of the time. Um, allowing God to do just that work that Sam's been talking about, where we often resist, but a lot of what we're working with is training people to do that work and allow God to work in their own hearts, but then to walk alongside others as they do it, um, which is a very important part. You know, None of us is asked to walk alone. God walks with us, but he also gives us people to walk alongside us. So we're very heavily involved in teaching and training and seeing people graduate. 
we've run successfully five counselling schools since 2017 when we moved to Mexico. Um, there's a team at the moment on outreach in Spain and we're going to go and meet them tomorrow week to spend their last week or so of outreach with them doing a pastoral visit. So each school does their lecture phase, their teaching phase, and then they put it into practice. They go and they walk alongside others. So we're going to go and walk alongside them as they're walking alongside others. <laughs> um, we also have practical ministries. You know, it's one thing to learn about God's love, but it, it's something God is very practical. And so he's given us practical expressions of that as well. One of the ways we do that is through the Homes of Hope ministry, where teams can maybe come and visit us and raise finances from wherever they come from. And then they come and they work alongside us and alongside a poor community in the outskirts of Monterey. And we build houses, which are then given to the families to improve their quality of life. A lot of them have come from other areas of the, of the country and they've kind of just put up whatever they can in terms of, of a shelter on a, the side of a mountain, which is a very inhospitable place to be. Um, so we, one of the ministries we have is to, to replace their home with something that's a little more dignified, something that's a little more stable, a little more secure. They're not big houses. And none of us are expert builders, but it's an improvement in what they have. And we work alongside them. And the hope is that they will then be able to, to improve their life quality, realize that God loves them enough to send often a bunch of crazy people from all over the world to come and actually build a house with and for them. So it's a very tangible demonstration of God's love. And other ministries include the children's ministry in that same community. Our, as a base, we, we prayed for some time and decided to focus on one particular community because we're not a very big base yet. Our, our staff team has grown from about 10 to about 25 or more or less at the moment, although it fluctuates. <laughs> but because we're not a very big group, it would be impossible to impact the entire city of Monterrey, which is millions of people. But we prayed and felt that God was leading us to focus on one particular area. So that's where we have worked precisely. We've delivered Bibles to every, every home in that community. We've built the houses and the children's ministry is also focused in that particular area. So we have a lot going on and it's all based on prayer. Everything has to be like, just as Sam has been preaching this morning, our first step is to seek God and see, okay, well, where do we go next? What should we be doing next? What is our next step? And praying for Monterrey, praying for Mexico, and praying for the nations. Um, it's not necessarily always been an easy time. Just before Christmas, um, things went a little uh, in a direction we weren't quite expecting in that Ramon was given a cancer diagnosis. Um, he had testicular cancer and had to have surgery at very short notice. He went to a doctor and the doctor said, in two weeks' time, you have to have your surgery. So <laughs> it's like, okay then. <laughs> Thankfully, God is very good. And we had a staff team who just stepped in, stepped up and said, don't worry, go and do what you need to do. We'll take care of the students. We'll take, ever, take care of everything. When it's your turn to cook in the kitchen, you know, we'll cover it. It's, it's these little practical things that service and how God shows his love through others. And through financial giving, there were people from the different churches that we, as you saw at the beginning, we were teaching and preaching in churches. Those churches rallied and brought offerings. One of our friends through the church is a doctor who put us in touch with the surgeon. They both gave their time for free, as did the anesthetist. The surgery was paid for, the appointments were paid for, the chemotherapy was paid for. 
God was so good. <laughs> Within the space of a month, he'd had surgery and a round of chemotherapy, and we were on a plane home, and we really didn't know how any of it had happened other than knowing that it was God and the prayers of so many people. So for those of you who were aware of what was happening at the time and who were praying, thank you. As you can see, he's now well. We're hoping to get him checked out and make sure and do some tests while we're at home in Northern Ireland. We're in the process of applying for access to the NHS, which has been in the news for all the wrong reasons lately, but we're hoping that God will open a way for us to do some basic checks. I need to check out whether or not I need to have surgery, which is what brings us to where we're heading in the future. We're going to be at home for a couple of months because I had a surgery for um, an ovarian cyst a couple of years ago. <laughs> Most of you will remember that. I know I certainly will for a long time. Um, but there's a possibility that I may need a follow-up surgery, and I'd like to get a second opinion at home on that. So we're trying to get linked into the NHS to see whether or not that's possible. If it's necessary, do I have the chance of doing it at home, or are the waiting lists going to be way too long? In which case, we'll look at going back to Monterey to do it there, because having seen that healthcare is accessible and that God provides for whatever we need in the way that only he can, <laughs> we're going to trust him. We're in that process of praying through the steps to see what is next. Do, we do, do I need surgery? Do I need it here? Do I need it there? And how will it work? So if you would join us in praying for that, we'd be very grateful. Um, and also just expanding the ministry. Um, like we've said, we're a small base in the grand scheme of things, but we want to grow. And part of the way we want to grow is in having more people, more students who come to be trained, both in the discipleship school, our school of counseling. There's a Bible study school as well. All of that it leads to growth because as we grow as individuals, then the base will grow and the, the work and the ministry can also grow. And we want to see the directions that God wants to lead, lead us in. And one of those is in terms of being a bridge between the Americas and Europe. Um, so while we're here, it's rest time, it's recovery time, but it, and it's attending to healthcare, but it's also building relationships, building contacts, building bridges um, and strengthening that link that has us between Europe and Mexico in, at this stage at the moment. So we would love to have you praying for us. We know and thank you for all of those who are already praying. Thank you to everyone here. If I start naming names, I will forget someone, so I won't. <laughs> but we do appreciate it. Um, we know that even though we're far away, again, physical geography is not the limiting factor because we're in God. It's in him we stand. And so we know that we stand in him and with you. And we've been praying for you and we thank you because we know that you've been praying for us. So we'd love you to continue doing so. Thank you for all your support, both in prayer and in finances. Dear Father, we thank you for bringing Karen and Ramon back among us this morning. We thank you for Ramon's recovery so far and continue to pray for a full recovery for him. We commit Karen's health to you and ask for wisdom for her as she seeks advice, read the need for surgery or not. We thank you for the way you have blessed their work so far and we know they would dearly love to see the work expand, if that is your wish. 
We ask for more personnel, both in the training and mercy ministries, and for the finances to support the expansion, both in terms of premises, living accommodation for extra workers, and support for extra workers. We remember those in Mexico carrying on their work in their absence, and the work is happening in Spain. We pray as they seek residency for Mexico, if that's your wish. We give thanks for the relationship they have built with local churches, and pray this can be developed even further. As we think of Mexico, we think of the wider world. We give thanks for all the nationalities represented here today. We give thanks for all the students that, brought, that you brought to International Cafe this Friday. Pray for each member of the team as they serve you in this way in Cafe. Help the team build relationships. Father, help us to equip, to equip us to share you and the word with those that don't know you and help us to equip those students that do know you to get to know you better during their time in Ireland. As we pray this for International Cafe, we pray it for our other church ministries, thinking of all who come through these doors during the week. Father, remember our country as well as we go to the polls this week. In your name, amen. Thank you, Annie. Um, just to say, of course, that Karen and Ramon will be back with us again, and we'll get to talk to them again at a further stage. So, but thank you for sharing, and do make uh, some time to get to speak to them as well. Well, we can't. Um, I suppose, really, what I want us to to leave with is is to know that I mean, when God says He wants to bless us, He means it, um, and and that His blessing is good. Um, and it's not always in the way that we would want it to happen, but it is a good thing. Um, and we're going to be singing this great song, What a Faithful God I Have. And so I pray that we'd been encouraged in a relationship with him. So let's stand to sing. Well, let's bless one another with the words of the benediction, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.